Welcome to Living Water Radio. We don't hear too much human behavior being called out as sin in our culture or our church these days, unless it's as the sin of some political or social injustice being either worse than all other sins or as something not being called sin at all, because that would make it easy to forgive but not to change. Both teach a very non-biblical understanding of sin. Today we're going to find out why that is and what it has to do with our three trash containers. My name is Pastor David Burkettall. My wife, Rev. Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a Christian Church Disciples of Christ United Church of Christ ordained minister, focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California, and in San Dimas, California, for over 40 years. Today, maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the more than 100 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Between the two of us, we have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. First of all, let me be clear that the title of this video is Yeah, Sin, not Yay, Sin. They mean two very different things. I just thought titling this video Sin would be melodramatic or at least sound outdated or provocative. So I anticipated that reaction with the title Yeah, Sin. That is to say, yeah, you read that right, because I don't think we hear about it very often. Too judgmental, too scarlet letter, too Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. In Mark 10, 2-12, there are parallels in Matthew and Luke, Jesus speaks about divorce in what seems like a very judgy kind of way. Isn't this the same Jesus who prefaces those words above from Matthew 7 with, do not judge so that you may not be judged in Matthew 7, 1? And yet, here are Jesus' strict words on divorce. Can we reconcile all these verses by simply saying that we are not to judge what is reserved for God to judge, and after all, Jesus is fully God, as well as fully human being, so it's okay if he does it? Or is it something else? The Pharisees who pop up at the very beginning of this text are testing Jesus by getting Jesus to make a judgment. It was a difficult topic then, just as it is now. The Pharisees were among the most respected men and certainly the most respected laymen of Jesus' day. Yet Jesus seems always to be knocking heads with the Pharisees. Why is that? We see in Mark 10, starting at the second verse, some Pharisees came and to test him they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. The Pharisees were the most righteous people among the Jews. Every young man wanted to grow up to be a Pharisee. They got respect. They were not clergy. Pharisees were laymen, this was patriarchy, remember, who had come to a point in their lives where they could afford to retire, turn the business or the trade or the skills over to the kids, and do nothing but study the religious law and live it. 
There were so many laws, over a thousand to keep track of, that it was a full-time job, and that's just what they did. Jesus didn't have a hard time with the Pharisees because they were righteous, but because they were self-righteous. They loved the respect they got, and they let everyone know that they were righteous. They loved the letter of the law, but didn't care about the spirit of it. It's like a parent who tells their children, don't eat cake before dinner, it will spoil your appetite. The children say, okay, but when the parent walks into the kitchen, they find them stuffing themselves with cookies. What's going on, the parent says. You said don't eat cake before dinner, but you didn't say we couldn't eat the cookies. The children kept the letter of the law, but they ignored the spirit of it. Likewise, the Pharisees had only become concerned with regulations and appearances. They were not concerned with what the law pointed to, why the law was given, the transformational living relationship with the one true living God for which human beings were created. They were masters of the gotcha questions. They lived for them. That's where we find them in this reading from Mark 10. The Pharisees were a religious party. We know about political parties, but the religious parties included the Pharisees, the Herodians, who had a Greek origin, the Zealots, who the Romans would have called terrorists, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. And here the Pharisees were trying to stir things up. Do you know anybody like that? They wanted to force Jesus to take a side. Jesus does. Continuing with verse 5. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Did I mention that in Jesus' day it was patriarchy? Women had no rights. There were some religious scholars who said that the words, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her, which was not a law but a commentary on current practices with reference to Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 through 4. Suppose a man enters into marriage with a woman, but she does not please him because he finds something objectionable about her. And so he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. She then leaves his house and goes off to become another man's wife. Then suppose the second man dislikes her, writes her a bill of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Or the second man who married her dies. The first husband, who sent her away, is not permitted to take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that would be abhorrent to the Lord, and you shall not bring guilt on the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a possession. They said that it meant that, first, only a man could end the relationship, and, second, that he could end it for any reason—burnt toast, bad posture, mother didn't like her, anything. So, Jesus' words, while harsh to our ears, actually had the effect of protecting women. And the provision for divorce was given to limit the human effects of human sinfulness, not to condone it. But it was a question for which there was no religious or cultural agreement. Jesus had taken a side. But he had based his side not on the law 
or on a loophole in the law, but upon the nature of relationships in God's creation. As usual, we get some of the details clarified in reading Jesus' explanation to his disciples privately, continuing here with verse 10. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Jesus said, No divorce. Jesus went with God's intention. Human beings were created in God's image, and whatever else that means, it means that we were created for a living relationship with the one true living God. Marriage is a reflection of that relationship. Breaking that relationship is a reflection of our rebellion against God. Marriage, Jesus said, existed under God's authority, not human beings. The Pharisees were looking for loopholes. Jesus cranked the law down even harder. Why? Because Jesus, who was fully God and fully human being, saw the real problem. The problem was sin. Sin entered and continues to enter the world through a one-way door, our rebellion against God. That rebellion is sin with a capital S. It separates us from God. Sins with a small s are what we do in this state of separation to reject God. And we, who are all sinners, continue to separate ourselves from God. Sin, as it has from the fall of human beings from the perfect relationship with God that God had given them, means death. We deserve only death. But Jesus, in describing his purpose versus all the forces that seek to defy God, said in John 10.10, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God's answer to sin with a capital S is not, you have to be better. That would be bad news. God's answer to sin, in the abundant life he gives, is the cross. God's answer is not, quit your job and learn all the laws so that you can keep them. God's answer is not, you need to do better. God's answer is, you need a Savior. Most Christians know John 3.16. Here it is, but pay attention also to John 3.17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We rejected God, but God did not reject us. Instead, God pursued us. This is the gospel, a word that means good news. We see it in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. God hears the prayers of the sinner. Pharisees were considered models of the godly life in Jesus' day, while tax collectors were despised as sellouts to the Roman Empire, robbing their own people. 
Consider Luke 18, starting at the ninth verse, where Jesus tells a parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Christian life is a response to something we didn't earn and didn't have to because of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said, responding to a Pharisee named Simon, who had invited Jesus to share a meal at his house and objected when a woman who was a known sinner came and wept over Jesus' feet in Luke 7.47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. The forgiveness of sins, the overcoming of our sin and our eager response. In this is the Christian life. I heard a story once about a little girl who was learning the Lord's Prayer from what she had heard. Her hearing of, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, was repeated as, and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who pass trash against us. That's actually not a bad rendition. We have three trash baskets at home. The first one is waste trash. If we kept that trash, it would be a danger to us. This trash will be taken away and dumped at a landfill, where it will be discarded and rot for a very long time. Likewise, sin must be taken away, or it will harm us and ultimately kill us. The image of hell, sometimes used in the Bible, was of a landfill full of worms and spontaneous combustion. The second one is our green trash. We don't want it anymore, but it will be used to fill land and make it more fertile or topper to hold in moisture and helping food or beauty to grow. In the same way, public sin, if it becomes known and results in negative consequences in this life, can be a warning to others not to follow the same path. But it too must be taken away from us, or it overwhelms our life and we become nothing but a bad example. The third is our recyclable trash. We don't want it anymore, and it must be taken away. But someone else might be able to make some useful product out of it. Likewise, public sin can serve as a blessing to others if we do something with our changed lives by turning away from it and being a blessing to others in our response to what God has done for us. This is what Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, has done for us on the cross. He takes away our trash. As John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus of Nazareth in John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our three trash containers tell us something about our sin. We all sin. We all need a Savior. 
and we are transformed people of God. What Jesus does with our sin makes all the difference. He takes it away. Open your heart to God. Confess your sin and repent of it, and live with joy, trusting in the mercy and grace of God. Jesus condemned divorce not, I think, to make life harder, but to teach us a way not to live self-righteously, but to trust in our Savior to make us righteous. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Today, let's remember to pray for all those who have yet to get the vaccine, because they are most at risk to themselves and to others. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at the Revs David and Sally at gmail.com, or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal, and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to the same addresses, and we'll include them next time. Send your comments there as well. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune in to the worship services they have available and support your church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Stay at home unless you are providing essential services or need them. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, especially those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated. <laughs>